Welcome to the Real Advisor Podcast, T-R-A-P, TRAP. Please follow us and join in the conversation on Twitter at Advisor Podcast, where you can suggest ideas and themes you'd like the TRAP team to discuss. Also remember to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and leave a six out of five star review on iTunes. Doing all this really, really helps us, which means we can do more to help you. Now let's head over to the studio for the latest pile of trap. Yes, indeed, dear Trappist. Welcome back to what many people are calling episode 27 of the Real Advisor podcast, T-R-A-P Trap. My name remains Lick Ninken, and joining me as ever are the three other horsemen of the apocalypse, Andy Hart, Alan Ilnalatore-Smith, and Carl Delavoce, which are now gentlemen, we have a show packed full of absolutely nothing. So let's start unpacking it straight away Swing with some more, with some more high energy reviews. Coming for to carry me home. Swing low. All right, all right, all right. Anyone see the rugby the weekend? Anyone see uh, the rugby? Carl, did you see any rugby the weekend? I saw a little bit, um, but what I. What I did actually see was the the Rugby World Cup or the rugby uh, rankings. Rankings. So yes, fascinating. Wow. Few movements Ve- there. Very yeah. very proud moment for Ireland to maintain their number one status going into the World Cup. Thank you. Well, Thank well, you well very done. Much. Al, how are you number one? How are you number one? The way you're playing. Uh, Twelve wins in a row and all that kind of stuff. Having won <laughs> you're, you're, beating, you're beating England. That's not a win. Anyone can do that. Uh, series win in New Zealand. Grand Slam. So anyway, the list goes on. I won't the jing- the jing- it's time for the jingle, Nick. Yeah. Um, Ireland. It, interestingly, right, right, let's get though, back on track. Interestingly, though, um, in, back on track on the on the Rugby World Cup rankings. So <laughs> yeah. England, England are number eight. Nick. I know. Be, now below Fiji, and just for <laughs> our listeners, <laughs> are you looking at the sevens rankings or the fifteen? No, no, no. This is just this. <laughs> Nick it's is, okay. Nick there's, is, no, there's no big tournament starting anytime soon, so Nick it's not is important. Not taking the Six Nations group WhatsApp slagging very well, are you, Nick? <laughs> I think I'm taking it wrong. I've given an unresigned. You can say what you like, mate. I agree with you. I've got nothing. I have no defence. I have no defence of England whatsoever. So have at it. I'm looking forward to seeing Ireland hoist the World Cup. <laughs> not not exactly what you said in the whatsapp group last night but anyway um yeah we shall see uh, i i did however watch south africa play new zealand and demolish new zealand including bringing on seven exactly seven new forwards after 45 minutes and the seven new forwards were better than the seven old forwards say, fresh legs times yeah. seven well wow. oh yeah. my god so first time ever a seven one seven forwards and one back split was done everyone said it's madness <laughs> that's that seven Raz- off the bench would start for most teams uh, Razzie yeah. knows what he's doing um for Maybe. me watching the rugby the south africa have to be hot favorites yeah, and unfortunately unfortunately they're in our group um and even if we do get out of the group, we have to play either France or New Zealand. So I think uh, doing the draw for the World Cup three years prior to the World Cup is absolute madness. It's ridiculous. Australian Wales are even worse than England. We're and, four uh, minutes in. And, uh, and they're top seats. Yeah. Oh, right, because England are going well. We need to move on. Okay, right. Well, no problem minutes, I've, given you, I've given you four minutes to enjoy your peak <laughs> form before a World Cup. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the Irish slump that always happens during a World Cup. Okay, Andrew, some high energy reviews of the show, please, that don't involve rugby. 
Okay, I'll try and avoid rugby. Uh, number one, five stars <laughs> from Rob Nick. Keep it up, guys. You are bettering the IFA sector one episode at a time. When a new pod drops, it's an immediate listen, six stars. Next up, MJ Financial Planning, concise, informative, and considered and considered listen, five stars. I decided to listen to the podcast for the first time this week, primarily because of the subject matter being SJP. I've been in financial planning for over 30 years, but I've only had a practice with SJP for the past four during that time, I've listened to and read countless defamatory comments made towards SJP. So when I saw the subject matter of this podcast, was uh, I was expecting much of the same. It was therefore very refreshing to hear logical conversations about SJP, and I found myself being very much in agreement with all the points raised, good and bad. This concise, informative, and considered listen is now clearly marked on my podcast favorites to download each week and look forward to listening to many more in the future. Back to you, boss. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you, as ever, for your reviews. They do give us a shot in the arm. Um, yeah, a shot in the arm is what the English... Well, a shot in the head, actually, if you think of a rugby team. Okay, we have, as Trap, <laughs> as the Real Advisor podcast, somehow scraped our way to 50,000-plus downloads. In fact, we're now at about 65,000 downloads, which is pretty remarkable for a, a niche podcast aimed at a very specific audience that only comes out once every two weeks so just thank you to all the trappists and we've also got i think what is it uh, 13 odd thousand views on youtube as well which is which is uh, fantastic if not a little bit bizarre so i just want to say thank you and as ever just a reminder next year around episode 50 so it'll be july-ish kind of time 2024 where we're looking to do Christ knows how we're ever going to get this organized without killing each other, but we're going to do a trap live event of some sort. And there is, there is significant interest out there to do. We have, we have tested the waters on this. So that will be happening. So just keep an eye out for that as we get nearer the time. Okay. Um, okay. Let's start with some, um, some good news because uh, it is easy to get mired in, in negativity some, sometimes in what we do in, in, in financial services from, f- because we're, we feel sometimes as financial advisors, certainly as real financial advisors, we kind of get dinged from all corners. But I've got some, I've got some, some, some good news. And it seems that, um, yes. Feel the vibes, baby. Feel the vibes. Hug that tree. Three questions. Get the clients crying. Okay, back in the room. Um, that the FSCS and the FCA fees, Carl, this is not your, you, you may be able to comment this as well from the Irish perspective, but across the board, the levies are hitting our emails and they seem to be down by around a third, which is very good news. And uh, we'll certainly tell you that. Doesn't mean the FCA can't hit us with interim levies, but uh, in our experience and with the, with the peer group that Andy, Alan, and myself belong to, the, the Ideas Exchange, that seems to be the common theme that, that the fees are down by a third. So don't necessarily need to comment on that, gentlemen, unless you wish to, but it's nice to be able to report some good news out there. Long may that continue. The Voice. Wodgemeister, Zoom is asking employees to return to the office, which I find sweetly ironic. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I ju- well, look, from a PR point of view, first of all, I think that's a little bit of a disaster that news on that gets out. So the um, the main uh, COVID-19 online uh, messaging for, forum, Zoom, have has said that this whole working from home thing doesn't work. So uh, that was that was kind of interesting. And uh, I think they handled that PR-wise from a, a very poor point of view. But I was in um, a big tech firm in Dublin a couple of weeks ago, and they were telling me that they've also uh, insisted that everyone comes back to the office um, with an optional two days um, working from home based on hitting KPIs. So, look, it seems like the working from home thing, certainly for the bigger corporations, 
doesn't seem to be working. Um, I know there's kind of different uh, viewpoints on in this group about that, um, but but I've always had the, the the view that look, yeah, we need to be kind of grown up about it and give people an option of a day or so uh, from home, and we do have you know maybe one team member entirely remotely. Uh, but my my strong thoughts on this are that you've got to be in the office, like especially when you're a kind of a small, medium sized firm. That the whole team ethic, learning from each other, those infamous water cooler moments, they they actually do matter. They do work. So um, yeah, I I think it's it's nice to kind of get some confirmation from from bigger firms out there that that maybe this is a this is a thing, and maybe it's the the slow death of the working from home. Let, let me um, come in, if I may, on that one. Uh, yeah, I've seen this. I saw, I saw yeah, as, as Nick said, sweetly ironic that Zoom, the big brand behind the work from home and telling everyone to get back into the office, as are many others. Interesting, isn't it? There's a lot of the big tech companies it's, that are saying this. Um, you know, uh, Tesla's talking about it, Twitter, Google, all these Twitter, big, yeah, yeah. big, big, big companies are to get everyone back. So my my take on this is that it's a it's kind of immature of the management of the organization to demand this. It it smacks of kind of a, a um, I question the culture in an organization that has to insist on its employees and where they actually work from, where they do their best work. So I I just take take the view that people should do their identify what sort of work they are doing in a particular day, a particular week, and, and find the best location to deliver that work. Some work is best done in a collaborative format in an office environment amongst other people, and some is absolutely best done in the quietest place you can be. If that's home or somewhere else, um, then that's what you should do. So our, our, we, we, we remain very flexible on our um, sort of working practices, and people tend to come in the office probably two days a week on average, and, uh, and work from home uh, the rest of the time and work from somewhere else. And it seems to work. In our line of work, I think it's very um, – your outputs are very known. You're expected to do certain things. You've got client meetings in the calendar. You've got things to deliver upon. And uh, it's very difficult to avoid that. So my view is treat people as grown-ups and let them do what they want. Yeah, I, I valid points, Alan. And what I would say on that is, look, I suppose we've a lot of new starters happening um, already has have happened and, and will be happening over the next few months. I think for starters, it's really difficult to kind of train someone in and bring them into the culture of the business when they're doing it from home, number one. Number two, I would say in Ireland, we're, we're definitely not at the levels of online client meetings that you guys are at. I think that's actually a good thing. Um, and that means, obviously, we need to have people in the office for those client meetings. Um, and, you know, we don't, you know, we have always two people in each client meeting. So, look, there's there's pros and cons. I haven't entirely made up my mind on it, but I'm comfortable with what we've kind of landed on, which is a semi-flexible outlook. Um, and that's what we will continue to do. I'm a massive fan of um, the flexibility. That obviously, it allows us. Uh, before this call, I had a meeting with my accountant, and I just thought, I'm probably never going to meet my accountant face-to-face again. Uh, and he lives in London, and I used to see him face-to-face quite a bit. Um, it's a win-win. I'm, it's a win-win for both of us. Um, uh, I, I, the hybrid is is fantastic. So two days in the office or three days in the office, I, I, I think employees couldn't ask for anything better. Um, yeah, it's a big challenge when you're uh, you know, onboarding new staff members remotely. Yeah, that, 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 that's, I suppose, the biggest challenge. But once they're sort of bedded in and they know everybody, 
um, yeah, it's given them that, that flexibility. Uh, obviously, again, clients, a new client contacted me the other day and said he wants to potentially become a client. However, he wants to meet face to face. And I said, oh, can we not do it by Zoom? And he said, oh, yeah, it's fine doing it by Zoom. I, I was thinking I, I didn't quite know what he was um, what he was up to. Um, anyway, I find it way more um, efficient, uh, especially in London. It is challenging if you've got, um, you know, a couple that both have jobs and kids. And, uh, you know, I've taken on loads of clients during the COVID times, and I plan to never, ever meet them. And I know Nick's pretty much 100% Zoom. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting that Zoom are insisting on some of their employees being a bit more present in the office. Um, I'm pretty sure they weren't saying five days, but they were certainly sort of trying, trying to ratchet it up. That, that is the general sort of um, flow, isn't it? The companies are insisting that more yeah. time is spent, uh, you know, in physical offices. So, yeah, um, interesting. Back to you, boss. Okay, good stuff. Alan, just while we uh, – this is, we'll keep this in the show, but just check your speakers, yeah, because I've got your speakers coming up as the real tech. Um, so your headphones might not be your active speakers. So if you can meet yourself and sort that out, we'll um, – We'll crack on with the conversation. So, okay, um, news item that I that I saw, which just kind of blew my mind, really, especially for you know, as we call it we we call ourselves real the real financial advisors, right? The real advice podcast because we we think that financial planning is paramount, and the investment solution is just the end result, isn't it? It's not what we're about. That's it's just one of the moving parts. And so we all of us, and and, and I think a lot of the trappists who listen to us have kind of revi- refined and honed our investment proposition over the years to really cut back on the number of funds we're offering, to have streamlined portfolios that give you broad global exposure. And, and, I, and, and the Trappists and you guys know that I've, I've gone taken that to the nth degree. Now I have the one fund for my equity exposure. And I saw this article in New Model Advisor, and I had to kind of look at the headlines twice. And Scottish Widows um, is cutting uh, 180 of its life and pension funds. It's not... And I had to look at the thing. Do you mean they're cutting some of their 180 life and pension? No, they're cutting 180 pension funds, leaving behind God knows how many. And a lot of these, of course, are mirror funds. There'll be so there'll be the um, the X Standard Life uh, Gars um, uh, range, which there were loads of different iterations. But 180 life and pension funds. I mean, you know, to have that to have that many to cut in the first place, it's just uh, it's just a different world out there, isn't it? The old school industrial manufacturing side. Uh, you, you know, imagine you're an advisor and you're trying to you know, you've got a client with the Scottish Widows Pension, and you're in forty or fifty funds or something, and you're trying to justify your existence. I mean, just just, just brought it up because um, it just seems to be such a con- contrast to to how a certain segment of the advice community is moving, e.g., you know, what we were calling, quote, real advisors, which I know gets people's heckles up, but we don't particularly care about that. Uh, guys, there'll be a link, there's a link to that in the so- so-called show notes, that uh, CityWire article. Um, but nuts. Um, and something else that I thought was nuts is uh, Capita. Now, no one seems to have a good word for Capita. And, uh, did the ca- nod or, or shake, Carl. Capita exist in, in Ireland? Are they, are they? Okay, well, Capita are, are, are one of these um, sort of scheme... DB scheme trustee slash actuary slash admin, and they just uniformly get slagged off by anybody who comes into contact with them. Anyway, it turns out that Capita, a few years ago, when the transfer value market from DB to DC was was all the rage because transfer values were very high, Capita being Capita cocked up the transfer values on quite a number of these transfers and paid away too much. Um, and they're, they're now actually going to these people, to the people that receive these DB transfers, and saying, we need some of the money back. Now, good, good luck with that. <laughs> good, good luck with that from from very. Now, I haven't looked. I don't know the weeds about this. I don't know how you get the money back. I mean, just the, because obviously you might have. A, say you've got a million quid in a pension, but ten quid in your bank account. Well, 
does the money come back out of the pension? And 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 what if the pension is is gone? What if it's tied up in property? What if it's in some god no, you know, some dreadful Cape Verde scheme that's actually lost all its money since then? I just don't know how they can do it. Surely Capita have their version of professional indemnity insurance that covers them against these kind of cock-ups. You can't go back to people three, four, five, six after the event and say we gave you too much. It's it's it just seems to me that's. Uh, that's an incredible story. And it's not like, this is not like one or two. This is apparently hundreds and hundreds. And it's not just capital as well. I don't know if you guys have got any thoughts on this or have had any other, uh, spoken to any other IFAs, but, um, you know, the whole, the whole DB to DC thing is it was a, was a bit of a shit show anyway. It's turning out to be a, bit of a shit show anyway, but you throw this into the mix and it's like, wow. Wow. Um, and of course, capital being capital are saying to, they're writing to these people and saying, talk to your advisor about this. They're trying to chunt it back onto the advisor to say, you know, inferring was the advice correct because we cocked up the transfer value as if advisors are supposed to understand how transfer values are arrived at i mean that's not that's that's proper smokes and mirrors stuff okay um voice again sports stars start a vc fund yeah i just saw this this is actually on sky news um so i've put the link to uh this piece of news so there's kind of a couple of cricketers who you, you guys probably know who they are, but there's footballers and there's there's other sports stars. They've started this VC fund and they're going for early kind of uh, tech startups um, and I think wellness startups, that kind of stuff as well. Um, and it just reminded me of our previous discussion whereby I think the rules were changing there that people, you know, that 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 your your regulation said that you should be investing in kind of uh, VC funds and that kind of stuff. And I just thought back to, um, you know, there's so many stories from kind of um, famous people, sports stars going into investments that have gone pear-shaped. And I, I think the ones that you'll see in the news are probably famous footballers uh, predominantly. But, you know, going back to real financial planning, it doesn't really matter how much money you have. What you need is you need a financial plan to tell you how much money you need and you need to dedicate your resources then to investments, pensions, whatever, in what has always worked. And we have spoken before about having that kind of playpen for, you know, very wealthy people who go off and do some stuff that kind of floats their boat, shall we say, but it's not integral or it's not that important. So it's money that, that you know, where they don't want to lose it, but you could necessarily lose it. And I just, I just hope um, that all of the, the sports people who have been um, named in this all have their own financial plans and they're only putting in money that they can afford to lose in this because this is high, high-risk stuff. And it doesn't matter how famous you are. You know, if you're investing in early-stage startups, they unfortunately have a propensity to not return any money. Of course, you could be lucky and shoot the lights out, and that's what play playpen money is. Um, so look, it's it's just a, a a note that I thought I'd put out there because too often we come across maybe ultra wealthy people, stroke famous people, and they're doing stuff that just doesn't make any sense. Nick, in, in, interesting. I mean, last week uh, you and I, Carl, we went out for a, a, a sherry, didn't we? And uh, in that day, we um, with you, I met one of them. You met two 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 IFAs who specialise in the field of um, advising. Uh, Sports, sports people, you know, have this incredibly short, incredibly short careers with incredibly loads of money. Uh, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a, it's a, different way of, uh, of doing what we do. That's for sure. Interesting people. And, uh, the, the, I mean, the classic example of, of, of 
just be careful what you're doing and have you got a financial plan and what on earth you're doing this is is and I, I know you guys aren't into American football but you know of Tom Brady right who is the greatest quarterback to ever play the game and it's not even close and he you know had this idyllic lifestyle he was married to Giselle Bunchen, Um and he's got more money than he could possibly ever spend and yet he got involved in promoting Bitcoin um, or one of these Bitcoin funds I believe in the yeah. States F- FTX yeah, FTX money he didn't need, um, and now he's being you know the litigious Americans. He's kind of being countersued by people who you know who went into it. And now whether he'll he'll get he'll lose money, I don't know. But he didn't need to do it. And it's just like you know your brand is everything. Your bra- you know your your reputation is everything. Just just why? What? It's just it, it's, it's the magpie thing. It's the shiny new thing. I want to be seen. Yeah. As the, we want this guy to be the face of it. Agent says, "Will you do it?" Simon goes, uh, "Yeah, I'll do it." Um, and then of course, when it blows, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Really, he's just a pretty face. Look, right. the, fund- the fundamental challenge, Nick, is confusing. Um, you know, long-term strategic investing for sort of personal financial security. Uh, for for growth of wealth, confusing that with entertaining entertainment, and these people come from the world of entertainment, and whether it's um, sports stars, movie stars, you name it, that's the world they operate in. And the challenge that we've got, the challenge we will always have, is frankly the work that we do to the outside world, at least, is dull. It's pretty dull because who wants to build a plan? That in itself is pretty boring. And, and also, and I've I've sort of dabbled over the years, not not for a long time, but in the world of you know professional sports people and trying to get professional sports people to consider a you know thirty, forty, fifty year financial plan. Uh, you know, those people don't know what they're doing tomorrow. Never, never mind thirty years from now. So it's a chal- It's a real, real challenge. And of course, when you say we'd like to, we'd like you to um, invest your money in low-cost global index funds and leave it there for 30 years. It's just, what? That's just boring. I want to get crypto. I want to buy, I mean, watches is all the thing, you know, you know, trading, you know, high-end watches, all that sort of stuff. And so it is a perennial challenge that anyone who works in our game has dealing with anyone like that. And the last little a- anecdote I'll throw in, I spoke to somebody last week who's preparing to sell their business for significant significant sum we're talking about potentially 100 million pounds next year and we're talking about how they might invest their money and he said yeah yeah i know i'll do your boring stuff with you but i really want to put some money into something that's interesting and keeps me interested and engaged so i said as long as you're prepared to lose all of that money he said yes i am because i have plenty to go at and i think that's one that's one of one of the issues isn't it because it's just this idea of using your wealth as an entertainment vehicle rather than you know, go to the casino or go horse racing or do something where you can have a real bit of fun, putting it into uh, markets, companies, structures, whatever, you know, that it's just, you know, it's vaguely interesting. It's it's dinner party conversation um, yeah. and maybe you lose it all. It's just, it's an interesting dynamic. I, I find. I, we, we've had this chat offline, Alan, that, you know, I, but it, that is relevant though for that guy with that amount of money, you know, make sure you've just got your future secured at a very high spending level and all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> And if it, he's, he, that, that, that gentleman or lady wants to invest in, stu- you know, stuff that is of interest, knock yourself out. Just go for it. But make sure you have all the other stuff parked first. I think that's the, that's the main thing that I wanted to get across here about these, these kind of footballers and cricketers. And I didn't realize cricketers actually make a lot of money. That's hard for me to believe. <laughs> but anyway. Well, top, top flight they do. It's, 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 it's a real disparity. cricket in Wales? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they do. 
I think I think this point this this comes to something that Andy's quite strong and it's just you know letting clients if they really want to scratch that itch let them crack on and scratch that itch all right it's better if if it if it means them following through on a financial plan where most of their money is invested in boring buy and hold stare out the window for the next three decades kind of portfolio give them some give them a little playpen they can play with as Alan said on the strict proviso that you know you. you could lose all of this. Are you, are you, you know, you're okay with that. And if you do, it won't won't ruin this financial plan we built. But let them scratch that itch and, and get on with whatever they want to do. I've, I've, so, I've heard different names for this over the years. I mean, yeah, uh, investing playpen. I think uh, I, I got from Alan. I've also heard of it as a, a rob account, which is like a rush of blood account. That's your rob account over there. Uh, I prefer Alan's latest one, the dicking around fund or the dicking around pot. <laughs> I think he's absolutely brilliant. Like, yeah, you can have a dicking around pot, mate. No problem. <laughs> How much? Your dap. Your dap. <laughs> just, just, that dick, just dicking around, dicking around just, fun. Just, just, just messing around with money. And, and then yeah. who wants to own a dicking around fund <laughs> nobody it's just it's framed, it's framed perfectly <laughs> but, oh my god but fund i think it's brilliant thank you Alan. but you could you can have one on the on the basis that you also have your double family's finance your family family fortress your family fortress that's what family you have this financial is it. fortress you don't need to say financial triple f yeah just no, you don't need it. Trust me. That's that's superfluous. Superfluous. That's the word. Next, move you on. Two, Back look to at you two. Are you chewed a thesaurus, both of you? Well done. Next to you using a knife and fork. Okay, <laughs> Mr. Hart, employing professionals. Okay, yeah, somewhat uh, allow me a, a brief story. But yeah, I've moved into a, a new house that's sort of been uh, consuming my life over the last few months. So uh, I actually viewed this house uh, over a year ago. Uh, and when I viewed it, I, I liked it, but I thought it was too expensive. I put a lowball offer in and then I ended up, um, someone else bought it uh, for a higher offer. And then I was viewing other houses um, and I was always referring back to this one that, you know, it's the one that got away as such. And then the person pulled out that put in the higher offer for what I thought was a sort of pointless reason. Uh, and since I've owned the house, I've realized that it was a pointless reason. But anyway, so I got a call from the um, estate agent, I think in March. Well, go on, the then, person what was the pulled point? out, do you what, want to buy it? What's the pointless reason? Um, there was no toilet. <laughs> it was an access reason, but I won't bore you with it. Um, okay. So then uh, he, he said, it's available. Do you want to buy it? I said, yeah, I'm going to buy it. Uh, and then obviously ensued the painful process of uh, dealing with lawyers and property and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, I completed in May and I decided to do the place up. So for the first time, I employed an interior designer, um, which I've never done before. I'm a single bloke, divorced. Obviously, I want the house to be nice for me and nice for my kids. Um, I got a few quid to do it up, so I employed a, an interior designer. Uh, and I basically got out of the way. You know, I allowed her to just send me links, buy stuff, um, and do it in the style that she thought would make sense. Um, there's obviously a, a few – as I say, if I did it myself, I would have done it okay, but, you know, it wouldn't have been as nice as it is now. Um, so uh, the, the point of the story is if you're going to employ professionals, you know, let them do their work and – you know, in in the end, the result will be fantastic. So the result is great. the The journey's been a little bit rough because obviously you're dealing with other people in the mix, and then you've got builders and all that sort of stuff. But the destination is is good in the end. I mean, a sort of funny story to it. Um, I ordered these tiles online. I thought they looked horrendous. I thought, really, you're going to put these tiles into my kitchen? The tiles arrived. Me and the builder were looking at these tiles, thinking these are, these are horrible. Um, how are we going to lay them out? And, and he said, Well, there's two options, Andy. You lay them out like bricks, or you just lay them out like straight. And then we contacted the interior designer. We said, you know, these these tiles have arrived. She said, right, the way we're going to do them is herringbone. And his face dropped. He thought, I've never done herringbone tiles before in that order. Um, 
And then he said, oh, I'm going to have to charge you more, Andy. It's just going to take a lot more time. You know, I mean, I used to doing the bricks. So anyway, he sort of tri- tripled the amount of time he's going to put these tiles in. He charged me a load more money. And in the end, the tiles are, you know, amazing. Uh, and they make the kitchen. Whereas obviously, if I had that option myself and choice myself, I'd have made a complete balls up. So the point of the story is, if you employ professionals, get out of the way. You know, too many people employ financial advisors and then want to dabble and, you know, blow up the plan. So the the the, the key is, clients getting out of their own way you know so i i could potentially have been a bad client obviously you know i'm rather disagreeable um so yeah uh, long story short uh employ professionals and then get out of the way my final topical tip but is this episode is going out on uh thursday the 31st and yesterday was mr warren buffett's 93rd birthday uh i'm a huge fan of uh, mr warren buffett so happy birthday mr buffett 93 let's hope you get to at least 115 and continue to share your wisdom with us every year um that's it back to you boss that's lovely you'll probably hear that right stuff um, that, that means that means <laughs> do you know that assuming he lives to be there on on january 1st uh coming up in a few months is his sidekick charlie munger's 100th birthday yeah i believe It'll be 100 on 1st of january so don't forget to send a birthday card. Well, why don't we ask him to come on as a special guest? <laughs> I think that's a great idea. Andy, will you yeah. look after that? You take yes. care of it, because I know, I know, I know how, you, you, how good you are getting Nick Murray to attend. Oh, come on. Yeah, yeah, Six yeah. degrees so, of separation. We said this Nick business Murray, is two degrees endless. of separation. Surely there's this someone out endless. there who's listening to this that knows someone uh, who's, listening, who's not listening to this that knows who's the Charlie Munger. He's got a, got a Charlie Munger's a close personal friend. He must be to somebody. Oh, close personal friend. There we go. Get it in. Okay, good stuff. I think we've given the topical tip. It's a damn good thrashing. Let's move on to uh, the meat and potatoes of this show. We're already half an hour in. So this is a this is a question that's been in our hopper for quite a while from Eamon Prendergast, a Trappist, who's on Twitter as at Financial118. And I'll, I'll read out his question because this is going to take up the next part of the show. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a subject that does need addressing. Most of, you, most of you have experience of organizing events slash seminars. I'm interested in finding out how you would set up a seminar for, say, 50 accountants from cradle to grave. This may include how long the seminar should be, best way to invite attendees, where to post the event, the structure of the event, topics you would focus on. Um, we're looking to add additional speakers, which accountants would find interesting. How would you follow up after the event? Thanks, Simon. So multiple questions in there, basically. And it doesn't have to be for accountants. I think that the, the lessons, and I'll, when I speak about this, I'll talk about this, the lessons of how to organize and then follow up on a seminar apply to whoever your target audience is. But just addressing the, the accountants part first, because that isn't the question from Eamon. Carl, you have experience of a organizing seminars for Metis Norway and also organizing a seminar for accountants. Tell us with your typical honesty how that went. So um, we did a, um, a seminar uh, event for accountants. Uh, it's, it's ages and ages ago now. So maybe 2016, 17, something like that, right? On the basis that let's gather a load of accountant centers of influence and then we'll get a load of business out of that. That's that, that was kind of the name of the game. Um, and then we, I took a bit of advice from somebody else who had done stuff like this. And uh, the kind of theme of it was there was new pension rules. I can't even remember what they were, but we were going to talk about the very, very technical stuff about that. And we got a, a kind of a, a well-known tax guy to do that part of the talk. And then we did um, the second part of the seminar was an investment talk. All right. 
And we didn't do anything about financial planning and we didn't do anything about um, cash flow modeling or, you know, stuff that probably most of the people in the room wouldn't have seen before. So we did that. Uh, we got a because I think the technical piece was new and that the speaker was kind of well known to all of these people. We got a good crowd at it. Now, when I say a good crowd, we got maybe 30 to 35 accountants in the room. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, of all of the events that we had done, it probably just turned out to be the biggest damn squib. It was, it was the energy in the room wasn't good. We had zero questions at all. Um, and for me then <laughs> afterwards, yeah, it wasn't that, it wasn't that bad now, right? And, and look, you, you gotta, here's, here's one point that probably didn't think about when I was going talking about this. This is all the learning, isn't it? You gotta make the mistakes and, you know, your first event of all of these kinds is never going to be, you know, you're going to be a little bit embarrassed looking back. So you just got to make the mistakes. Um, so look, it probably did help get the Meta's name out there, but what, what would we have done differently? Um, we'd have definitely done some financial planning stuff. And I'm not sure the investment piece was relevant, um, was needed. Um, and um, how, however, looking back, do the accountants want to ask questions in front of each other? I don't think they do mm. for fear of, you know, looking like, you know, Jesus, I should have known that that's, or whatever. That's a really right? good point. Really good so, point. It's a really good point, yeah. So what what we have done instead is mm. we took a different... Now, we do run loads of other events, which I can talk about if, if, if we have time later on, right? But for the accountants in particular... um. What we've done instead is we've gone to them one, one-on-one, okay? And we've said, look, we've got this Metis Life Plan. This is, so for everybody else, that's cash flow modeling. Um, let us do one of these for your biggest client or one of your biggest clients or someone who's maybe coming to a transitionary point, i.e. selling a business, et cetera. We, we can do it. You, you just give us the details, but blank out names. We'll do it, and then we will present it to you. And... Almost all of the time, the accountant goes, oh, Jesus, this is brilliant. Can we do this for the client? I'll, I'll just ask the client, to, can I have permission to blah, blah, blah. And then we go and do the presentation, the Metis Life, present, Metis Life Plan presentation to the client and the accountant. So that's one thing that I would strongly recommend and I think really, really, really does work. Of course, if you offer this to 10 accountants, you might get to do two or three presentations. So this is a numbers game because... Accountants, after all, are very, very busy, and also they don't necessarily think that we do the great work that we actually do. So that's our challenge is to actually show them. So telling them I don't think is any good, you got to actually show them. And that has worked spectacularly well for um, us with a number of accountants. And we have lots of uh, centers of influence now in the tax advice accountancy firms who just turn, we, we need to go get a financial plan from Meadows Ireland. So that's one thing. The other thing that we've done as well is um, the old uh, entertaining. So asking an accountant to a really nice golf course and say, bring two clients or bring six clients. And we'll, let's just all get to know each other first. Um, we won't talk business. And then, you know, that, that kind of positions it better for the client, for the accountant to be able to say to his or her client to say, Hey, um, what Carl does is financial planning. I've seen it. I think you need it. Now that you've met him, you know, 
he's not an axe murderer or or for any of the other metas people in the in that that might be playing golf so that's worked really really well for us now we are looking to try and kind of bring that maybe not necessarily exclusively to golf courses but to do other events so we have other things happening on that front as well so look that that's kind of my experience on it um i would say um spending a lot of time money and effort into doing a big um accountancy seminar might not be the best way forward for you but hey that's my experience i'm sure there's plenty of other advisors out there who are going to tell you that that's all they do and they they smash it out of the park and it's absolutely brilliant so like it's this is the thing you got to find your groove you got to find your your way forward so in summary amen if you were if you are going to run this definitely do a piece about financial planning but link it to a technical piece that they do like but don't expect a lot of engagement that's my final point so um uh, andy you're you're obviously doing mega events in terms of humans under management probably the best known uh, financial advisor event in the uk so um what's your take on this and running events in general what, what are the main themes people should be looking at your last statement will definitely be a YouTube short. Thanks for that, Carl. Um, uh, just to follow on from a point that you made, Carl, about um, showing your work to accountants. I used to do – I've done this about three or four times. So I take on a new client. I said, you have an accountant? They say, yes. I said, what's their details? Uh, are they quite proactive? And then I say, can I contact the accountant and say, like, we're working with you collaboratively? Uh, and I ask the client permission to share the financial master plan, which is the sort of cash flow output. And I've emailed it to accountants and it's like, I think it's like the most beautifully, you know, presented 15 pages of pure financial planning wonder. The accountant is zero interest in it. I don't know if they feel intimidated. I don't, I, you know, you expect them to see it and go, wow, this is fantastic. All of our other clients need this. I need this. I've had uh, not too good success with that. So um, if anyone's thinking about doing that, tread carefully. Just can, um, I, can I just yeah, jump in on, on that one before, and Nick has a point to make as well, but um, I, I wouldn't, I think that's pretty pointless sending it out, sending a 15-page document out, because if I got that, I'd probably delete it, and I no, probably but what, got lots but what, of beautiful stuff. What I'm saying, Carl, is it, it, I'm doing that work with that client anyway. I'm just involving the accountant to, to be collaborative with it to show that this is the in, overall situation. In, and you know, Invite them Invite them to the meeting, Andy. Y- yeah, 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 yeah. I can have collaborative yeah, meetings. Yesterday, anyway. I had a HSE consultant and his wife who's been a client of mine for years and years and years, and his accountant came to the meeting. And it's amazing. Like, we just, I think the client now has a lot of trust built up in both of us. But a lot of the meeting is me talking to the accountant with the, the, the client couple are beside us, and they're just delighted that, hey, I've got these two guys in my corner here. When I say show the work, you know, emailing a presentation or you know, sending screenshots from Void, I, I, that, that's not going to work. But anyway, sorry for the interjection. Nick, Nick, what was your point on that? No worries, Carl. Yes, my point is that I, don't, I think a static financial plan – doesn't ring anyone's bell really and if you're going to get cash flow across to accountants the i mean i've got one accountant introduced uh, this 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 lady in berkhamsted and um she she you know like of course accountants deal with limited company business owners and for me that's the ideal target market limited company business owners ideally husbands and wives right and if you're working with those kind of clients doing cash flow Get as as one of you, the two of you alluded to, they get the client, get the accountant in on the annual planning meetings. And this lady, this accountant, she loves it. She, 
if she can see the cash flow modeling happening in real time because we share the screens and everything then then they 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 getting the accountants get engaged i think i think a flat pdf necessarily won't do it um and that's definitely something I would do if I was running a seminar or a webinar with accountants as the audience. As you said, Carl, give them away some, give them some technical stuff they can go and use. You know, remind them about the lifetime allowance going, remind them about the annual allowance in the UK now being 60K, because some of them won't know. Talk to them about relevant life policies, you know, uh, you know just, just, just give them some stuff. And then do, uh, I would then, for the second half of the seminar, I would pivot to a live cash flow demonstration of Mr. and Mrs. Company owner. Because accountants are numerate, obviously, and the better accountants will, will they'll be doing cash flow for their clients' businesses. And all we're doing is saying we're, we're doing exactly the same for the, for the business owners themselves. We're doing the cash flow and, and build a plan live. That's what, that's, that's what I would say. If an accountant doesn't respond to when they see it in the flesh and a plan being built for their clients, then I would suggest that accountant. We should you know, probably get busy. back to seminars and webinars. Are you talking about right. just dealing with accountants? Uh, yeah, but the question was about... Have you not had your week to be today, Alan? <laughs> no. He's not, he's not spoken for 10 minutes. He's having withdrawal symptoms. Okay, fine. So, um, Organising events you. and seminars. Right, you, back you to organize, me. Okay, you, so, you organise yeah, events I, that, are, that, are, that, are, that are sort of business to business, don't you? So talk us yeah, through I that. Yeah, I organise business to business, so financial advice. I've never done a client event, and I probably will never do one. I might do an event with Maven Money, which is my podcast. But anyway, so I've done events for sort of two different brands. So the Voyantis User Group, which started in December 2011, and then I've got Humans Under Management, which started in November 2017. Just a brief sort of story about this, like business stories. I remember I sat down with a – it wasn't really going to be a potential client, but a prospect, but I pretty much knew I wasn't going to work with him. Anyway, he sold his garden maintenance company for $45 million. Uh, and he was a slightly older gentleman. I think he was about 75 when he sold the company. So I sat down with him just to have a general chat and things to avoid or whatever. And I thought he was going to be quite confident, quite arrogant or whatever. He said, Andy, I set up this business 50 years ago with one lawnmower. And it just hit me like the start of the meeting. You know, he was very humble that he's just built this business over time, over time, over time. And it was the same with I sat down with the lady that sold uh, a load of nurseries. And she said, Andy, I set up this business 30 years ago and I started off with, you know, one kid. And I've just built it up and it was in my house and then I rented it, you know, a, a local place and then I built it, built it, built it. So I love the stories of business that started off with, you know, uh, you know, humble beginnings as such. So my tenuous link to setting up events, the first event I ran that weirdly Nick Lincoln was at um, was in December 2011 in my old office in Pinner, um, Evans House. And I think there was about 10 of us there. And I've got the list of attendees actually because I uh, – quite uh keep uh keep keep quite good notes of things so anyway the people that were there i'm going to read them out now was me simon graves nick lincoln les conway stuart punawala bob freeman graham foster tony clarkin and john skulls do you remember this event nick i do i do indeed Okay. Can we get back to se- can we get back to seminars because otherwise Alan's going to fret. So can we talk oh, about seminars I mean, again, quick? Carl, we, we were we not invited to that event, Carl, or do, or we were and we said these were the good days. These these were the these were the these were the clean days. Anyway, clean okay. So days. moving on, he to was, some, uh, he was still some, finding some, his way. Some some, yeah. some further information. <laughs> so yeah, I've been running financial advisor events, and the main thing I run is um, humans under management. Uh, this year um, in SA coming up later this month is the twelfth show I've run, and uh, in London it's going to be the thirteenth. And events are hard and challenging. Um, you know, they're expensive. There's a lot of work that goes involved in them. Uh, since I've been uh, set up Humans Under Management, I've booked 150 speakers. 
Um, so you've got to book speakers, which is, uh, you know, challenging in itself. You've obviously got to sell tickets. You've got to find a venue. You've got to worry about logistics. Timing is important. Um, some specific points to uh, his, his question. Yes, I use Eventbrite. Yes, you should use LinkedIn. Yes, you should use Twitter. Um, I use PayPal on the back end. Um, yeah, events are challenging but rewarding. Um, yeah, so I'll continue to, to run events. Uh, is it over to you, Nick? it's over to me i think yeah okay thank you guys for your input into that so i don't do i don't do seminars i don't i haven't organized a seminar for either my clients or or for other advisors really i i I get involved with andy with the Vointist user group um to to an extent and that's now a webinar and that's really what what i i I, yes i know carl i can feel a part of you dying inside and, and alan maybe you as well if i was to do anything i would now do it as a webinar not a seminar i i think the days of Unless you, you you know bigger firms, maybe you you can do something. You do your golf days, totally get it, fine. But I think for for the for the for the lifestyle financial planner, webinars are the way forward. And um, Phil Bray, who's a, who does listen to the show, runs the Arctic Agency, a well-known marketing brand in 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 UK financial services. He's written two really good long forms on how to organise a a webinar not a seminar but a webinar and I'll, I'll put links into them and actually it's, it's 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 an object lesson in content marketing from Phil which you'd expect because he's a marketing expert because he's given chapter on verse the first piece is how to organize a webinar everything you need to do so he mentions eventbrite he mentions linkedin he mentions upgrading your zoom package don't run it as a zoom meeting you have to buy the webinar package which is about 600 quid a year it just it just works way better if you do that and then the second long form piece that he wrote is the 10 mistakes that you should avoid when doing a webinar which is really the same article but just rewritten uh really good and you read this thing crikey his phil here has given away everything i need to organize a webinar but it's, it's subtle content marketing because I think a lot of people will look at this and think, Jesus Christ, there's a lot of moving parts here that can go wrong. I need to turn to an expert to organize this webinar for me. Who's the expert? He's just demonstrated his expertise. It's Phil Bray at the Arctic Agency who makes one oblique sales line in it and says, of course, if all this is too much for you, you might wish to outsource the organizing and running of your webinar to people that know what they're doing. So it's very subtle. So uh, I would I would look at that. I, I might... I'm just conjuring with the idea. I might run an annual webinar for my clients, which will just be to talk around the investment uh, fund running the portfolios, maybe do it in January each year, looking back over the last year. But of course, as a one-man band, I would need to get a third party involved. The one, If you're doing webinars, don't do it by yourself because you've got enough going on with the presentation. You have to have someone looking at the chat, looking at the questions, doing the housekeeping and so forth. So I don't know if maybe Dimensional would step in and would give a 10-minute overview of where the markets have been over the last year or so. Um, and I know you're thinking, well, Nicholas, that's that's kind of counterintuitive to your core message, which is don't yeah. focus on the investments. But I just think once a year, just saying, well, what's happened? Where what just 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 going through the portfolio, just going through the thirteen thousand great companies. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. It's probably because I read this article and it's front of my mind on how to do a webinar, and I haven't done a webinar, and I want to do it. I, yeah, I'm just that's, yeah. That's I, I like that idea, Nick. And and look, there's no part of me uh, thinks that that it's not the way to go is to do webinars going forward. We're definitely looking at them. And throughout COVID, we did a number of webinars um, that I hosted, and we got actually loads of people on them. So I'm not against that idea at all i just i'm just a little bit old-fashioned in that i love pressing the flesh and i love just meeting people face to face so um 
you know, but I do understand that there is another way and I'm, I'm not convinced it's a better way, but there's another way. And of course we should be exploring all of the ways. So yeah, I, I, I like that idea. And I do like the annual seminar about investments. I think that's a really great idea actually. Yeah. And so, I mean, I know we have some SJP listeners to the, to the show, some SJP Trappists, and of course they are, they are the past masters of organizing physical seminars. That's, that's, that's one of their caches, isn't it? They'll, they'll, they'll hire a country pile and they'll talk about inheritance tax planning, get a third party in the kind of octopuses of this world. So they'll, they'll, they'll know it. They'll, they'll have it nailed down, but with SJP, it'll be a manual. Everything will be process driven. You know, if you want to organize a seminar, practice uh head this is what you do and this is how you do it and you do not do not deviate from that so there's different ways to do it alan you 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 don't uh particularly organize well shoot me down if i'm wrong you don't organize seminars per se for your clients but you attend them what's what what what, what are your takeaways from a good seminar and or, or a bad seminar what would you avoid or what would you all right i mean just just some some random thoughts is listening to you guys um just chat this through interesting just one thing nick on the the sjp thing famously and i hope i'm not uh, misremembering his name that probably that i think i gather the most successful sjp advisor ever is a guy called john cross who famously would just had a chauffeur he was driving around his in the back of his bentley and he'd be sitting on his phone you know arranging appointments and he was the seminar king he would just organize seminars in fact um i think on a podcast that we've mentioned we've kind of chatted about this briefly before in a previous episode a guy called colin lawson learned a lot from him this guy colin lawson runs a firm equilibrium up in the northwest hugely successful firm and then colin jumped on that particular bandwagon became and built a lot of success as an independent practitioner through seminar selling and you're right the hook the interesting thing is finding a hook what's going to be interesting to get people to come along to and what we recognize is middle england hate inheritance tax that's yeah. just the thing so doing a a seminar on financial planning no one really knows what financial planning is or investment management well it's vaguely interesting but not really but inheritance tax was a great way of getting people along and they organized a lunch and it was a pure numbers game and again this is public information i'm only sharing this because i heard colin speak about it um, it cost about ten grand a an event, but you know you play the long game and you were making whatever you make your money back. What I have heard again, anecdotally, the, um, I'm sure there's exceptions to the rule. What I've he- heard recently is it doesn't really work so much. That that as a process has been really exploited over the years, and now you know the, those kind of Middle England people in the nice postcodes up and down the country have been to so many rubber chicken lunches that they've probably had enough and they've been sort of um you know they're probably engaged with a financial advisor uh, the, the you know the majority of people who are go- whoever going to do it probably have by now so there's a definite move and it's still expensive though to, you know in-person physical events are still pretty expensive to you know to lay on to rent a you know rent a nice place lay on food drinks all the follow-up so i i gather that is moving increasingly to a digital outcome which of course the costs are a fraction and you still get quite a few people showing up so I think that's quite uh, quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of these things are personal views. I'm I just personally, I'm not somebody that attends live webinars very much. I don't do so. Then I think that no one else does. Although 
I have participated in. I was in, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I was in a live event with um, Stuart down in Australia, and I think it was 60-odd people, other advisors. I did one with Lee Robertson of Octo last year. There was 120-something advisors live on that at a particular time. So people, so obviously, as a medium, webinar, like live webinars, and again, the, the article, which I read briefly before that you shared, Nick, that Phil Bray talks about, is you definitely, if you're going to do a webinar, do not do a pre-recorded. The temptation is to do a, to pre-record it and then just sort of publish it. But he said, no, that's that, that, that's missing the entire point. It needs to be live yeah. so you have people asking questions live and no one wants to show up at a particular time to watch a, uh, a, video, a video which they could have watched on YouTube at any time that they want. So some people uh, will, some people uh, do. Um, not particularly... Uh, for me, I think going back to Eamon's original question, when he talks about, he just he's looking for the kind of cradle to grave or the soup to nuts idea. How do you set up a seminar for, say, fifty accountants? The first question I'd be asking is, what are you trying to, what are you hoping to achieve? Right, what's two hundred and fifty is where you start. Well, exactly. That, that's the, but what, what are you hoping? What is the actual desirable outcome of doing this? Because to my mind, when I see that, I just think, God, that is just a world of hurt in terms of work organization reputational risk but getting it wrong where you get get the people so um what what are you hoping to uh, to do that you couldn't do on a one-to-one just just kind of tying a bow on this going back to carl's original point and i think andy mentioned this as well to, to, to some it, you know eamon specifically t- mentioned accountants accountants being professional advisors that a lot of our clients also have as well as us um a classic thing is you know ha- Question to everyone listening to this: If the pr- pr- practitioners, you know, practicing financial planners right now, or the w- working in financial planning practices, do you have a list, names, contact details, email addresses, all sorts of points of communication of every single one of your clients' accountants? Do you have that on a database, on a schedule, and are you communicating with them on a regular basis? Because I'd be doing that, I'd be just setting up a specific targeted newsletter of some description, finding high quality, relevant information, and just drip feeding that no less than a monthly basis to all the accountants of. And you will determine over time, if you check your downloads, check check your open rates, check your things you click through, who's actually reading this stuff, you will automatically identify accountants who are specifically interested in the work you do. If you do like a mass market shotgun style approach i'm going to invite 50 random accountants or 100 or 200 random accountants it's going to be a mixed bag and as carl experienced you might get a bunch of them show up on a day and they might not really be engaged you might think they'll get free cpd or a free lunch or a free breakfast or something so i'd be trying to identify those that are you know in any group of accountants a group of anything there'll be some who are specifically interested so i think that's what i'd be doing first of all what is your desirable outcome and I presume it's to open up professional relationships with third-party p- professionals who can you can mutually refer clients across. So, so, so I think I, 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 to me, the simplest way of doing is having a high-quality communication process. And maybe then, once you've identified those and you've been communicating with them for six months or so, then do a poll. If we organize a webinar, would you be interested? What are your key subjects that you'd be interested in? You know, what sort of time of day would you like? Would you like an in-person event? Would you like a webinar? And you and you get you the feedback before you actually do it. You kind of sell the sell the product before you actually create it. I think that would be one of the things I would do. Okay, that's yeah, interesting. I think the the webinar thing 
you can expand out. And again, Phil Philbray mentions this in his in his piece is that yeah, if you're doing a client webinar and say it's about just just looking at the the, the one fund and looking under the bonnet and getting a third party in to talk about it because you do you can't just be you talking in a webinar. You have to have at least one other third party, if only because it breaks up the monotony of your voice. So you get dimensional in and they talk, but. And you put the invite out to your client bank, but you put it, he says, put it out to everybody on your MailChimp database. Now, I've got this newsletter that goes out once a quarter, and I've got a few hundred people on there now who, know, who aren't clients of mine. They're just people who've subscribed to it, and they're, they're accountants of clients. Just just put it out there because the webinar is a Yes, you're going to talk about the investment, but you're going to tie it into the fact the investment just drives the financial planning, and you'll maybe just do a quick run through of the financial planning software, just show a graph or two on the, on, on the webinar because some accountant might be looking at it and thinking, blimey, that's really good. I didn't, yeah, this guy's not just flogging pensions or what have you and the thing with the webinar is you can put out a million invites it costs you the same if you put out two invites it doesn't matter if they all turn up or they don't all turn up the cost you know the cost is going to be capped whereas with the physical event i've got the grove hotel up the road which is lovely right it's a proper proper swanky place with a with a golf course that has been on the pga tour I mean, so, so, but Christ knows what that would cost to, to book, you know. I mean, I would just be, how do you get the return back on that? I do not know. And how do you measure it? Um, so I'm definitely on the web. And I think, Andy, you you had a digit. Were you having a fit or was your digit raised? Are you still banned from the Grove, Nick? No, they've they've given me, as long as I can't wear that dress. It's got to be longer. They this hem, It's the hem length. What's the problem? Fine, but thanks fine, for raising fine. that. Good man. Yeah, the Grove <laughs> is uh, wonderful. I would say to the, um, is Eamon, um, don't think of this event as a one-off. That will be disaster. Like your first event will be probably terrible. Um, so you've got to think this is now your new way of operating. So don't think of it as a one and done. Uh, your second event will be will be way better than your third will be better. So yeah, I would I would stick to this rather than just thinking this is a one off. So maybe even your first event, maybe try and get ten in a room, build up to fifty. Um, yeah, so try and embrace this as part of, of your new marketing strategy rather than a one-off 50 Nicholas. 50 is 50 is brave as well i mean getting yeah. 50 clients in a room is brave. 50 accountants i mean i doubt there are 50 accountants in hertfordshire that you really want to deal with so i would say get t- 10 get 10 yeah, you know, yeah that, and start, that's probably gonna be, that's gonna be a real work of love guys we've given Eamon's question a damn a damn good thrashing there are we are we comfortable to move on to the next segment of the show because i can see in my little nest camera on my screen that um postie is is slogging up the the mansion to up the drive to lincoln to lincoln lodge and she's she's got a bulging sack of trappist questions so let's have a look and answer two more from our beloved trappist and who is this first one from let me quickly open this up this one is from uh, mr nick miles he's not on twitter but he's on linkedin nick miles and he says oh god consumer duty just been to a money marketing interactive event. I'm sorry to hear that, Nick. I hope you're recovering. And a session on consumer duty by Simply Biz. Having worked on this for some time, the Simply Biz presenter said he has a refined consumer duty proposition for member firms for the implementation in July. This question was obviously posted a few months ago. He, The Simply Biz guy is on version 27 of their consumer duty proposition, 47 pages long and 13,000 words in length. Is this long enough, do you think? joking for the attention of Lick Lincoln. A really great podcast. Uh, he, he has surged Trappist the last nine shows in reverse order over four days and cannot get the Andy Hart tune out of his head. Andy, the ultra crepidarian Andy, he knows about everything. Andy can't be told anything. His name is Andrew Hart. Andrew Hart! 
There you go, Nick. There's that earworm planted once again, written in the back of a taxi on the way to a restaurant just outside of Cape Town. Um, I mean, consumer duty, it's kind of, it's, it's embedded now, isn't it? It's been and gone. Uh, I do think there's a lot of grift around it. Like all of these things, you get the grifters coming out with their 13,000 words on consumer duty. I can see if you're, if you're a brand or a fund manager, yeah, you probably do need a 13,000 pound consumer duty manual because I think consumer duty hits you straight in the nutsack. Uh, if you're a, if you're an IFA and a well-run IFA firm, I don't think you need to be spending that much time on it. He said, once again, poking the bear and asking for the FCA to give him another visit. Um, I'm happy to move on to the next question. If you are gents, unless you've got something to add. Okay. Silence is golden. The next question. Who is this from? This is from a guy called Joel. Doesn't give his doesn't give his surname or his first name. It could be Billy Joel for honor. The piano man could be a trappist. He's on Twitter as at J-E-U, J-E-U, J-E-U-1985. Oh, God. Feel free to paraphrase what I've written, paraphrase as I've written, as I'm not professional. I'm a teacher. We have a teacher listener. Um, I'm a teacher, and I have a buy to let. I have an accountant that sorts out my self-assessment, and... Uh, manages the, and an estate agent manages the property. Over the last seven years, with my various expenses, I've paid little to no tax. A friend, colleague, is moving schools and wants to rent his current home out. As I think you've got us confused with an accountancy podcast, Joe, but we'll crack on. He wants to rent his current home out as the new school is going to provide accommodation for him. He's spoken to an IFA, who was a friend of the family, who has said he should set up a limited company to get him tax benefits. Um, I did ask him, did the IFA ask about his aims, goals, and aspirations? And you'd hope he would. Uh, Apparently not. The IFA did not do this. Um, I said, as a lowly teacher, he should just do what I did, get an accountant, and you don't need the hassle of a limited company for your property, since his main salary would be teaching. And if he keeps good records near the end of the tax year, if if he gets to higher tax, he can load up his pension. So the question he's asking is, if you have have one buy-to-let property, or maybe even two, do you need to set up a limited company to manage the so this really is an accountancy question just i'll go first and you guys chip in um rule of thumb seems to be if you've got like five or six bytelets the tax situation tends to favor having a limited company and and putting the properties within that frame for various reasons and i'm not going to go into the corporation tax versus income tax and everything else but if you've got one bytelet i don't think you need to set up a limited company to to have to put the bytelet within guys any any views andy you, you you've you've kind of dabbled in, in property to a degree yeah, no, I agree. If you've just got one, it's massively overcomplicating it, especially if he isn't too financially savvy. So, yeah, probably, uh, again, this is not advice, but proceed with the way that the uh, questioner was recommending. Anyone else? It's a, it's a, it's a strange one. I'm just reading through the question. I mean, he asked he asked a question right at the end, talking about the um, you know setting up a limited company or not. Was this relatively sound thinking, i.e. what Joel has said, uh, or are my suspicions that this IFA was trying to get a quick buck falsely held? Um, I don't know what quick buck the IFA was going to get by suggesting setting up a limited yeah. company. There's no sort of quick win on that particularly. Lim- setting up a limited company doesn't cost very much to do, and you can do it yourself. Or there's generally the remit of an accountant as opposed to an IFA. You know, the, the bigger question is, it's a strange one because the question is really around a, a transactional issue. Should, I've got this asset. How should I own it? Now, the bigger question is, well, why do you want to own it? What, in what, what context do you continue to own it and all that, which is a proper, you know, a, a real lifestyle financial planner type question. But it's really, if it's just, I'm a teacher, I'd be given a property to live in and I've got my house and should I just rent it out and what should I do? So that's, that's fine. So it's a transactional question. Um, and there's a far bigger issue around, you know, the role of an IFA, if at all, in this particular issue or question. 
So try, I mean, but, try, but, but, but try and keep it but, simple, basically. Yeah, keep it simple, and exactly right. And that's the and I hear this quite a lot. And this whole buy to let thing, from from what I can see, it's just kind of collapsing in the UK. We've not even I mean, seen the start of it. Everyone wait, that wait I know, the rates go to eight and absolute shambles. It's yeah. going to be everyone, horrendous. Everyone I know that owns buy to let property, or the majority of people, are just trying to get, get rid right now. It's, it's going to be become, horrendous. Just, um, and so owning one. Which is actually the only other thing with that is that was his principal private residence by the looks of things as well. So he owned that as is where he lived. So setting up a limited company, no, don't bother, waste of time. But I think that is a, a big, there's a bigger question there about the role of advisor and the role of an accountant. Carl, why are you chuckling? Come on. What's the chuckle for? <laughs> uh, Alan is talking away there, kind of not really answering the question. Then the back in the background, Andy is going, this is horrendous. This is going to be... <laughs> I don't oh, yeah, the buy to let. We've not seen it. It's just... Anyway, my, my solution is that um, we know a good, a very good advisor called Eamon, who's very well connected to loads of accountants. So I think we should put Joel in touch with Eamon, and there's the solution, and there's the answer to the question. He can go very along good. to the first seminar. He could be one of the ten. He just needs very to find good. nine now. No, Joel is a teacher, not an accountant, so he won't be one of the ten. <laughs> he can rock up. Come we on, can bring his get with the program. Are you not listening? Come on. Right, good stuff. And Dan, Dan, Dan Trappist, if you've got a question, as ever, do post it in the pinned tweet. There's a link in the pinned tweet. Do we call it tweets anymore? The pinned X. At the top of our X profile, you can submit your questions there, and we will get round to answering them. We've still got about 15 in the hopper to get through, so just bear with us. Okay, we're now at, God help us, 64 minutes in. Let's move on to Culture Corner. Okay, Mr. Hart, Sleep Eye Watch. God, go on. Yeah, this is sort of like a, a tech uh, culture corner. So I've just become a lot more intentional tracking my sleep. Uh, I've had an iWatch for years, but I, I haven't activated the sleep app. I think Alan's done this uh, and he spoke to me about it. So what's what's an iWatch? You mean an Apple Watch? Yeah, it's called an iWatch, no? An Apple Watch. No, iWatch. it's not. It's not, right. Of course it's right, called an iWatch. Okay, an so Apple I've got watch. an iWatch. Go on. Uh, I've activated the sleep app via the health app and my... Uh, watch so i now sleep with it and i track my sleep uh, i think it's bloody brilliant um i've basically got a sleep coach now um yeah digital sleep coach um oh so if you haven't activated God. it i recommend doing it it means you change your behavior a bit because you've got to charge your watch before you go to bed and all that jazz but yeah it's uh all good you've been tracking your sleep haven't you alan by the um Apple I, I, watch? I have for for years yeah but i've got an app i'm just trying to look it up um a separate app okay, thing Andy, to it. While, while alan does that it's okay so you're tracking your sleep so what what, what, no, it's what, good. It's, it's good. Useful. You, you, yeah, you. Ch- you I mean, it it, it. it has a single biggest impact on how you how you operate through your how day. You operate your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously, if you go to bed with lots of stuff in your mind, that will come out in your sleep. Pattern. I've got. You, I've, there's there's an app. There's this whole etc. It's. I've tried. Useful. I've tried. I've tried loads of them. Um, sleep cycle is the app, and it is yeah, linked yeah, to your exactly. linked to your watch yeah. and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. And yeah. it's it it becomes a bit an obs. Oh, an obsession because you wake up in the morning. The first thing I do in the morning is check how good a sleep yeah, that I have, REM, and then you then, sleep, then, yeah. then you get nervous about how if you didn't have a good sleep, you think, "Oh shit, I'm gonna have a bad day there." Yeah. So that that creates like sleep anxiety. Then you don't sleep properly, and the whole thing. <laughs> so, so if you if you have an Apple Watch and iWatch, and you've not yet done this, I recommend doing it. So you have to go out of your way. It's a little bit of a setup, but once you've done it, it's basically seamless. It's absolutely so. You, s- you sleep with the watch on. 
Sleep with a watch on. Right. So you're not yeah. doing it, Alan. It's, it's no, I am. Cycle. I am. I am. Sleep I am. cycle it's, is an app that I used to put under my pillow. Now this is all done seamlessly via the Apple no, Watch. No, no. It's, it's, it's that it's as well. It's freaking brilliant. So if you, if you haven't done it, do it. And I know loads right, of Right, okay, but you know when you wake up, up and you're having a good night's sleep because you feel shit. No, what, it's what, just data, get... my Yeah, but you want, you want the data to be data. data. telling you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it, but it, but it is interesting every time I spend any time with you boys. If you if you consume any alcohol, oh. the sleep oh, yeah, interruption just is just it. nuts. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. And, and, and like your, a and sleep coach is a subtle yeah. person that's telling me to live a good life, so I go to bed and get good sleep and wake up and confirm that. Um, yeah, it's I, I find it interesting. It's data. It's health stuff. If you're interested in it, there's Magpie. my uh, two pence. Magpie. Magpie. Yeah. Okay, fine. Thank you for that. Andy, um, so Kitsis, you know, once in a once in a blue moon, Michael Kitsis releases something of interest, and his episode three hundred and forty-seven was the story of a lady who sold her RIA business. RIA is broadly the equivalent of IFA in this country. She sold her business to United Capital, um, and then United Capital sold on to Goldman Sachs, which has all been a bit of a shit show. Don't really care if it takes them down, all the better. Um, and this episode is about her experiences, and trust me, not good. You know, once once you sell to Goldman Sachs, you're in the Goldman Sachs mince machine. She she was quite an advocate on social media. She had a brand on social media. She was on on American finance TV shows and the web a lot. And Goldman Sachs said, "No, you're stopping all that." So she's trying to extricate herself now from Goldman Sachs. So it's quite interesting how the United Capital sale has all unwound, as they often do. These massive companies buy up. RIA firms, buy up IFA firms, and then about two years later, it's just a complete shit show, you know. And I think what's happened in the states with this is that a lot of advisors are leaving Goldman Sachs and taking their clients with them. There's been a massive hemorrhaging of assets, even though they've all signed these non-compete clauses and what have you. Um, and it's an interesting link back to what we and I put a link to it in the, in the show notes, also a link to the show notes from episode three of Trap, where we discussed um, United Capital selling to Goldman Sachs at that time. Um, and I think all of us took a somewhat less enchanted view of Joe Duran, who was the CEO of United Capital, you know, all about the clients, clients first, we're not the big Wall Street enemy. And then he flogs himself and his brand to Goldman Sachs. And, uh, he and, came across- and interestingly, um, the next part of that story, Nick, is that uh, Joe Duran is now launching another RIA of you don't some say. description. Who did? Yeah. Yeah. And the FinTwit community in the US seemed to be pandering it once again so that story yeah. is i yeah. was a fanboy um not anymore let's, and let's, let's listen i mean you just united capital what he built up was a fantastic business there's no doubt yeah. about it and this lady who joined said it was just the best place to be it was a really really good fun company so that's mm. you know that's to his immense credit but once you once you once you sell your soul to goldman sachs or blackrock or one of these you know it's a institutions good luck with that okay my next uh, culture corner just a quick shout out don't just comment on it boys but debbie condon runs a firm called intuitive support it's like outsourced admin outsourced power planning she has a fantastic guide which she updates every quarter or so on the providers um, and how they handle letters of authority okay very mundane down in the weeds but it's a brilliant thing if you need to know just scottish widows take docusign you look up this guide they do and she gives you the email address you send the docusign to i put a link to it in the so-called uh, show notes thank you debbie for that for that yeah, um, just, just to hammer that point home, Nick. If you don't have it, do download it. It is absolutely brilliant. So yeah, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely yeah. download that. Okay, Mr. Smith, Rick Rubin, uh, the Creative Act: A Way of Being. Um, some of you will be familiar with Mr. Rick Rubin, one of the most seminal music producers of all time. Really, having produced everyone from Beastie Boys, Eminem, through Adele, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Johnny Cash. You know, a, a really you know, thoughtful 
creator. And so he, and for, for many, many years, you know, he, he's never produced any of his own stuff, but he just recently, earlier this year, wrote, has written a book. And the book is called The Creative Act, A Way of Being. And it's, it's, I think it's a great read. He just talks about the, the, you know, the very art, the, the concept of creating, the concept of creating art. And he's making the point that it's not about, you know, creating a song or music or a painting. A lot of the stuff we do, and the way I, I read it, the, <laughs> without stretching the point too much, creating a real life, you know, financial plan is, is, a, is art, is a creative process, which is, you, you create something out of nothing. You create something which exists where previously uh, it didn't exist at all. And it's just the way it's a, it's a really poetic kind of, it's quite deep, quite soulful. And I really, I've spent most of the weekend uh, reading through and it's well worth checking out. All of us are artists of some sort. And it's a useful reminder of just create your best work, create your art in the way that only you know the unique way that you can bring it to the world and be sort of be, be proud of it and take your inspiration from so many other places. I really enjoyed reading the book and I'm going to chuck in uh, it, it, into my culture corner, something else, which is a bit more direct, a bit less kind of ephemeral and kind of out there and arty, but is our old friend, Mr. Nick Murray and his book called the craft of advice essays, 1995 to 1998. Um, now, this is an interesting one because Nick, Nick, Murray's, Nick, Nick Murray's books are notoriously difficult to get hold of. In our group a couple of weeks ago, Mr. Hart posted something about this book, didn't you, Andy? You said this craft of advice, essays. Yeah, you've got it there. So immediately you posted there, and I thought, I've never heard of that before. Go online, and it's really, it's real hit and miss. It's available. It was available on Amazon, right? It was available on Amazon secondhand for about 20 quid. So I buy it, came from the United States. So I buy it, gets delivered about a week later. And I mean, there's another sort of side story because when you buy these secondhand books, they've got, always got a backstory. And it came, there was a bookmark in it Post from some bookstore in, stuff, in yeah. Yeah. Princeton, New Jersey. Grab yourself a drink, a very long drink. It's story time with Alan Smith. No, I, I, li- I love the fact that buying secondhand books, particularly Nick Murray books, they themselves have got a story. So this one did have it, had a, a, a bookmark from, it's called Micawber Books, Sutton, um, Nassau Street, Princeton, New Jersey. So I thought, I wonder who's been... And in the past, I've had them with highlighters and people got scribbled notes. The mm. point of this being, it's a great book. It's a, it's a, it's a, it, they've captured all... He was writing, I think, monthly essays for a publication during between 1995 to 1998 so obviously these are like 30 years old some of these essays one of the early the early ones he was predicting you know the, the demise of commissions predicting the demise of so so many things he was very accurate in his predictions now 30 years later and look, whatever we say and people got different views but the writing is sheer poetry it's timeless just for fun, I go. I went on again, looked at see if it was available again, and it's still available on Amazon secondhand. But now sixty quid. Someone else has posted it for sixty quid. So when you come across every now and again, you get inspired to check out a Nick Murray book. Just go online, look on Amazon, look on eBay, and you might get lucky. You might find one there and then because there's no chance of you getting that in the normal circumstances. You know, speaking to Nick Murray International, whatever his company is called, and trying to get a, you know get them shipped <laughs> yeah. through the normal normal processes, no chance. And then he, he, emailing him, dear Nick, 
how do I get access to your book? You know, it's not going to happen. So it's it's a it's a it's a fabulous read. It is a great book. It's, it's a great read. Uh, a good friend of the show, Dirk Groneveld, um, in SA, bought I think three or four Nick Murray books, and that one arrived, and it was signed by Nick Murray. So again, someone wow. obviously yeah. got it signed by him well, the originally. One, the one I've got, the one cool. I've got, is signed by a Francois Trembolo. I mean, there's a whole story. There's a we could get some of a cult thing, a, a subreddit. Nick, you going need on to the- sign it when you sell it on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Lick, Lick Lincoln. Yeah, uh, and, 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 and also, they're quite short chapters, so I just read like one every lunchtime. Uh, it's brilliant. I thought you were also going to mention the podcast that Rick Rubin and Rory Sutherland were on. Well, Alan. I kind of dominated, but that I have put out there. There is the Rick. So Rick Rubin has got this podcast. I can't. It's quite a long name. I can't remember it. But the last episode was our Tele- dear friend Rory Sutherland. Um, it goes on for three hours. You know, Rick opens up with an open question, and then with Rory, you know, you just basically <laughs> once you ask an open question, you go away, you prep a casserole, you cook the casserole, you eat the casserole, you have a brandy and cigar, and you come back and ask the second question. Um, <laughs> Um, and it is a bit like that, but it's it's a really really good uh, podcast. And um, Rick Rubin, what a, I mean, crikey, he's talking on the podcast. He talks about Run DMC and Walk This Way and Aerosmith in 1986, I think it was. You know, just this, this introduced hip hop to the rock world and introduced the rock world to hip hop, and it, just that one track would cement yeah. him. Uh, Rick Rubin is a sort of legendary producer. In that year, of course, he did produce the best ever thrash metal album, which is Slayer's Rain yeah. in Blood, which still sounds absolutely fantastic. And it comes in at 28 minutes. I wouldn't, if you're going out for a nice romantic meal, don't put that on the background, you know, because it's over by the time the terrine is, is coming out. Um, but uh, yeah, a great guy. Okay. Uh, what else are we doing here? The voice, Della Voce, Dan Sullivan, Benjamin Hardy. Yeah, so I didn't put the book title Nick into the culture corner because you would have made a smart comment about it. You're going to love what the book title is. God. 10x is easier than ah! 2x. <laughs> ah! So uh, Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy uh, wrote this book. I didn't love it all, but there are definitely nuggets in it. Um, I did, as usual, the... Um, the audible version of it. Uh, some of it's a, not great, but there's some really good stuff. But one little nugget I loved. You know the way um, I think uh, we all kind of have come up with our our kind of uh, explanations as to what does true wealth mean or whatever. And Dan Sullivan's is uh, freedom of time, freedom of money, freedom of relationships, and freedom of purpose. And I just loved that. And he kind of, he, he goes into the detail around that. And I'm definitely going to use that again. But I, um, I think it's probably more relevant, honestly, for someone looking to build a firm um, as opposed to solos. But having said that, there are there's stuff in there for everybody. Um, yeah, so check it out. Uh, 10x, Nick, is easier than 2x. I think Dan Sullivan's got a load of amazing content, and he is a close personal friend of yours, isn't he, Alan? Obviously, yeah, he is. Okie dokie, good stuff. Uh, okay, I think we're there, aren't we, gents? I think we've, we're clocking in as ever at the uh, sort of, uh, what's that, just under the 18-minute mark. So um, let's let's tie a bow on this. Thank you, as ever, dear Trappist, for your time. Um if you'd like to leave a review, that would be absolutely fantastic on iTunes. It's six out of five, of course, and or on YouTube where you can subscribe to us. But for the moment, I think we're done. Um, from the Trap Pack, from the three other horsemen of the apocalypse, it's goodbye and take care out there, folks. Until the next time, take care. Bye. In- enjoy the World Cup, even the English people. Watch out.